I got sent to from Chicago an emotional growth boarding school located in northern Idaho in the beginning of my sophomore year of high school. Out of a co-ed body of approximately 160 students, I was the single and only one there and perhaps in the history of the school who had voluntarily attended. There was typically two ways people got to that school. RMA, it was called, in the SEDU system, if you have heard of it. One way was by a visit from a bounty hunter at about 5 in the morning and an escort. The other way, which was probably the worst of the two, was their parents would tell their child they were going on a vacation to northern Idaho on a family vacation, and once they got to the location of the school, they would say goodbye, they would leave them there, drop the bomb. RMA was a two and a half year therapy intensive program and I hated it from day one. It was so hard. There are a million stories I would love to tell you about RMA. Like how we chopped tree stumps with steel mauls for four months before we could earn the privilege of getting into the classroom to learn. Or how we had these long rap sessions where the counselors would scream and curse at the students for over an hour. Or how the students were taught to scream and curse at each other or the floor, but for the sake of time, I need to fill you in on some of the rules of RMA and the concept or philosophy of, quote, I am my brother's keeper, unquote, that we practiced. We were not free to come and go as we pleased, but the doors didn't have locks, it was not a locked unit, and at night, no staff would remain to keep guard. We were essentially in a level system. The longer you were there, the better you behaved the more privileges you would eventually receive and enjoy. So this is how the concept of Brother's Keeper worked. RMA had a set of very strict rules. For example, we had to wear commissary clothing, we had to keep our hair cut short, trim, we couldn't listen to any of our former music that we used to like because they wanted to strip away the image of ourselves that we used to have. We couldn't have any relations with the opposite sex. Uh, our showers were very short, like five minutes. Our bedtimes were at 9.30, lights out, sharp. No talking about drugs or glamorizing your past life. Perform well in group therapy raps, which is one of the hardest things to do. That's just a few examples. But if you broke a rule, you would be considered, quote, out of agreement, end quote. As in, out of agreement with the rules, and this was called being dirty. For example, if I approached a peer to find a way to somehow sneak cigarettes in, we would have a contract together and would be considered out of agreement or dirty. Or if I was to make a habit of taking longer than 5 minute showers, or 10 minute showers, let's say, they would be out of agreement. I would be out of agreement and dirty for as long as I refused to cop out, as in confess, and go back to taking five-minute showers. Now let's say, for example, I wanted to run away from Army at night, which, by the way, would be quite pointless being we were in the middle of the woods. If an older student than myself, one with seniority and on a higher level, got wind of my plot and didn't report me to the staff, they would also be considered dirty or out of agreement, even though they didn't do anything wrong themselves. This particular rule was actually applicable to every student regardless of seniority or level. I am my brother's keeper. We were each other's keepers. So basically, if you wanted to be clean or have a clean conscience and not dirty or out of agreement, you would need to, well, you could say rat out and report anybody you thought might be out of agreement or have a contract with someone. 
Despite my rebellious nature, I was a rule follower. I did, in fact, manage to hustle a pack of smokes, but it wasn't long until the whole issue was a bust. Any other time I broke any rule, I copped out willingly and confessed. Home visits weren't allowed for over a year, at least, and we were allowed only four visits over our entire two-and-a-half-year program. It was brutal. When I went home on my visit, one of the first things I did was to listen to some old rap music, which I used to love, which was against Armay rules, even though I was back at home in Illinois. Now, upon returning to Armay, I immediately confessed, and yes, I still got in quite a bit of trouble, but it is fair to say I stayed in total agreement at that program. Nothing, I mean, no little thing went unconfessed that I did, and I followed the rules, obedient for two and a half years till graduation day. I would love to tell you the stories I took away, but there is something much bigger and much greater that I took away from RMA, and it didn't really even come from RMA. It came from inside me. It all boiled down to being in agreement with the rules. Now, the reward or payoff that I got from staying in agreement wasn't necessarily the privileges or the freedoms or the praise of staff or man, it was the confidence that comes with having a clean conscience. It was undoubted confidence in living out my maximum potential as a human being in total alignment with life's purpose. And it was strength, power, light. And lastly, but not least, the fullness of joy. Let me give you an example. Being in agreement with someone or something is being in harmony or accordance in opinion or feeling a petition or result of agreeing in mind and heart and as a result in life. I will touch a little bit on repentance later, but the Greek and biblical meaning of repentance is to change your mind. So you could say that repentance is to agree with or be in agreement with a mindset of the spirit of life and purity and holiness, righteousness, one who is considered blameless before God. It's a contract, you could say, just like how there are bad contracts like hustling a pack of smokes at boarding school. There are good contracts like I will not use drugs anymore or I will not use drugs with you anymore or for one example I resolve to live by my values let me read you a quote out of a devotion from Joyce Meyer it goes like this the importance of maintaining a clean conscience before God cannot be overstated Paul spoke about his conscience confirming through the Holy Spirit that he was doing the right thing we should be careful not to sin against our own conscience because this becomes a heavy burden to carry. David invited God to examine and test him, for he was sure he had committed no evil, nor had he transgressed with his mouth. We can see from Scripture that David felt sure he had held firmly to the word of God and that God would answer him when he called on him. Sadly, too often we try to operate in faith while having a guilty conscience, so we can't bear good fruit. We are to be led by peace, and Paul writes that anything we do that is not done in faith is a sin. That's Romans 14, 23. When we repent of sin, God not only forgives our sins, but he removes the guilt that comes with them. Therefore, we can always walk before God with a clean conscience 
if we pursue purity out of life and are quick to repent when we do sin. Now for me, my clean conscience came from following the rules, being in agreement with my values, which made me in agreement with my morals, which kept me in agreement with, with God. Being out of agreement at RMA was being out of sync with my conscience. I was having a guilty conscience. And copying out or my confessions is how I uh, repented. And turning around and deciding to be back in agreement was how I remained obedient. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason because every little even insignificant seeming choice we make alters the entire course and trajectory of our life to some degree a good golf let me give you an example of this a good golfer knows that if you hit two golf balls the smallest minusculest of degrees differently eventually one of the balls will land many many yards away from the other ball and that is only considering one variable, the angle of the club face, perhaps. There are many other variables in life, and the choices we make, like there are many variables in a golf swing, such as how hard you grip the club, where you grip the club, how fast or slow you swing the club, how still you keep your head, how much follow-through or backswing you have, how much your hips rotate how you stand in relation to the ball when you hit even to what you are thinking when you swing to what clubs to use to what type of ball and i could really go on and on and on but if the angle of your club face changes even one degree or less the golf balls will take off on a similar line practically identical similar speed it may seem like at first an identical shot the same height, all that, but eventually, before those balls fall to a slow rolling stop, one of them would have drifted far out of unison, out of accord, out of agreement with the other, and curve away, slicing right or hooking left, flying further away from the initial trajectory, the trajectory that would have been aligned, identical, and in agreement with the other ball. If they were hit exactly the same, I mean exactly on every level, they would have landed in the same spots. But instead, they landed far apart from each other. When we live out of agreement, or even one choice or degree out of agreement with our values or God's values, somewhere down the line of our life, we will find we have landed far away from where we wanted to be in life and perhaps far out of God's plan and purpose for our life. Consider chaos theory, the butterfly effect. This is this sensitive dependence on initial conditions in which a small change such as the turning of the club face of a golf club getting out of agreement with your values in an area of your life in one state of a deterministic nonlinear system can result in large differences in a later state, such as a golf ball landing many yards away later from its initial trajectory. I know for certain that if I had cheated or broken rules at RMA, 
and keeping it a secret or keeping secrets, I would have never reached a specific pinnacle of my life or life's ultimate potential. In the same aspect, I am certain that in my 20s and 30s, when I was living out of agreement with my values for the most part, the friendships I formed and the experiences I had were subpar to say the least and would be a total and complete loss with exception to the painful lessons I had to learn. So to encourage you today and in this podcast, I'm simply just going to illustrate a couple examples from my life. In my final few months before graduation in RMA, I was one of a small group that was chosen to attend uh, an experience in Washington, D.C. called Presidential Classroom. It was an amazing experience. We flew from Idaho to D.C., which was a great privilege just to get off campus and get out of there. And we partook in tours, seminars, crossfire debates with other high school students from all over the country, including Puerto Rico. We were placed in separate caucuses, so we rode buses and shared hotel rooms and participated in the experience with total strangers. It was on this trip that I began to notice something about myself. People felt really safe opening up to me, it seemed. I guess I would stay up all night. I don't guess, but I would stay up all night talking to my hotel roommates. One of them saying to me he had never told anyone some of the stuff he was confiding to me about. I would always kind of jump deep in the conversations with people I talked to, even if they were strangers and it was a brief conversation. I never stayed on surface talk. Several girls I spoke with, I remember, shared similar sentiments with me as my hotel roommate. A few of them even cried in front of me. Not that making people cry is good, necessarily, uh, but it was like I was this safe, honest, and transparent person who could cut through the BS, chatter, and give people permission to let out what was going on inside of them, something real, something deep. I really had a strong sense of how to let a conversation unfold as well. In one of our larger seminars, which included all presidential classroom participants and staff, which was around four to 500 people, the speaker announced that they were going to choose three speakers from our caucuses to close out the final night. One speech would be on the topic of courage, one on the topic of dedication to principle, and one on the topic of compassion. The speaker announced that if we had any interest in making one of these speeches, that we could simply notify our caucus leader. Considering it was a group of, like I said, 400 plus, I didn't know about my chances, but I knew I wanted to do that speech on courage. I immediately wrote out a note of intent to the seminar. I folded it in half and had the students in my row like next to me pass a note over and over and over a couple people down to my caucus leader for consideration. Now when she received my letter she unfolded it and read it right away. I watched her from down the row as she read it to herself. Tears welled up in her eyes and streamed down her cheeks and she looked down at the road towards me after she finished reading it and nodded to me as if to say, okay, I'll submit this. I, you know, uh, I, I wasn't the only one to notice her tears. The other students in my row whispered to me, what did you write in that note? What did you say to her? And honestly, I can't remember the note. I just shared a little bit 
about how my tests in life have become my testimony now. The next day or so, our other caucus leader announced to our group of about 40 people that I indeed had been selected to represent and give the speech on courage. Our group applauded me and seemed proud. Now, I had to meet up with the other two representatives to decide topics and speech order. The other two kids were fine with me giving a speech on courage, thank God, and we flipped the coin to decide the order we would go in. The coin flip had me speaking third and last out of the group, and that turned out to be a huge blessing as well. I was so nervous for the final few days writing that speech, and I kept reminding myself, just talk slow, talk real slow, because I know you can get kind of amped up and nervous when you start talking fast, and you really got to slow things down to just even speak at a normal pace. Then came the final night, a huge formal banquet with hundreds of students and staff and D.C. professionals such as CIA, FBI agents, and all that. Everybody was dressed to the nines, big banquet tables. I can't imagine I ate anything off my dinner plate. I was petrified. The closing of the banquet was near, and the two speakers before me went just fine. Now it was my turn. So when I got behind the podium, I pulled out my notes and made a point, like I said, to talk slow. I can't remember everything I shared, but I talked about my story, uh, eloping from the psych ward hospital I was at, calling my mom, turning myself in, my mom almost giving up on me, uh, turning myself in, going back to RMA, and eventually turning my life around. My tests were now being told as a testimony. I thank the Lord for it all as well. After I was done, the next thing that happened only comes in photo-esque blips of single-frame film in my mind. I received what seemed like one of the longest standing ovations I've been a part of on stage and even from the audience and even on TV. Perhaps it was a moment that was meant to pause for a moment in time. Everybody I could see had tears, the men and women. One of my RMA peers was standing next to his dinner table, patting his palm on his chest, which is RMA sign language for here forever, as in here in my heart forever. This moment I will cherish forever. One of the RMA counselors was at his table and she was crying. The standing ovation was long enough that I awkwardly tried to say okay enough with my hands, putting them out and bouncing them up and down with my open palms. I turned around and the MC shook my hand and said to me, you truly are a man of God. It's, it's convicting for me to think about. Uh, after that was another photo still in my mind of a long line of people winding down the walls of the banquet hall, all waiting to come up and talk to me, to say something to me. The line was handshakes, hugs, men crying, uh, girls kissing me on the cheek and giving me roses. I was late to my closing evening caucus meeting because of all the talking I was doing with everybody sharing with me. And when I showed up, finally, I got another home team feeling like standing 
uh, applause. They saved my chocolate pudding dessert with a little mini Puerto Rican flag sticking out of it because naturally I never made it back to my table. A dance was coming up to cap the evening, but in the meantime, our caucus leader had a share about how the week of presidential classroom was in our experience. It was crazy how many people shared specifically to me, and apparently my speech was the point of their highlight reel for the week. People also shared with me in transit throughout while walking from our caucus room into the ballroom again for the dance. One girl stole my speech notes and didn't share anything, but she was like weeping after my speech. What I mean is she was the only one that I saw who actually kept crying. She was in my caucus too and she was still crying in there. I've always wished I could remember my speech better, but I guess for whatever reason she wanted to remember it more. I always wondered what struck a nerve or cord or whatever in her, why she was crying. One girl told me she thought I was just a kind of like a dumb simple guy with a beautiful face but then now she realized I was a guy with a beautiful face and a beautiful heart one guy shared with me I was his hero I went to take a picture with another guy and I was going to put my arm kind of around his shoulder like you would do in a photo but he insisted we take the picture of him shaking my hand side by side like like, out of respect, another guy came up to me and said he wanted to try quit drugs because of what I said. I remember saying back to him, don't try to quit drugs, just do it. How very Nike of me, right? The dance itself was a blast, especially considering how little female attention or interaction, I guess you'd say, I had had in the last two and a half years. I was up on stage, dancing with some girls for a while, but it was really just a lot of dancing and, and a lot of attention I made. A regrettable error, though, saving the last dance for, I think, four different girls. Lord knows why I did that, so I shared the last dance and missed a very what could have been nice potential moment with one girl on that one it was a good song too at the end uh it was in your eyes by peter gabriel i was 18 years old then about to graduate from that incredibly incredibly terrifying and difficult boarding school something i never imagined i could get through I was getting my high school diploma, and the whole world of possibility was ahead of me. It felt like sky's the limit. That was then. I was 18, still a teenager. I'm 46 now, and that was a look into the week of my life, one week of my life, well, two and a half years that cultivated in a week of my life in agreement with my values in agreement with those RMA rules, in agreement with my morals, and in agreement with God. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now my 20s and my 30s were quite different. I made things in my life subtle sins one after another over time I made these things acceptable I got a little out of agreement a little tweaked away from my values 
I've been thinking about the scripture. Let me read you from John chapter 5 from verse 1. Uh, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have known to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, one, Jesus said, Pick up your mats. And two, he said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Let me jump back to chaos theory and the butterfly effects. I made casual sexual relationships okay again in my life. Now think about how the intimacy of just one relationship with one person could take you off course or make you out of agreement with God's precepts. I made drinking okay. No, I'm not saying that's a sin for everyone, but I made drinking okay. It only takes one intoxicated mistake, and your whole life could potentially change. I got pulled over many times when I was 20, and packing a cooler of booze in the trunk with alcohol in my breath. I made drugs okay. I started smoking weed. I made that okay. That got me into a lot of trouble, down the wrong path, on the wrong cause, uh, because I was misaligned. I chose bad relationships. I made it okay to have made friends I could hardly stand who would ultimately hurt me. And I made choice to have relationships with girlfriends I was casual with that would get hurt by me. I was out of agreement with my values. I was out of agreement, but I wasn't confessing or repenting. I wasn't copying out like we would do at my boarding school and then getting back in agreement. Now, the Greek connotation of repentance, like I said earlier, is to change your mind. The Bible says that the mindset on flesh is a death, and on the contrary, the mindset on the spirit is life. Jesus told the man to pick up his mat, even though it was a prohibited move on that Sabbath afternoon. Jesus didn't want the man to set his 
Matt back down. He didn't want him to make provisions for his flesh. In other words, sit back down or sin again or do something rather that would lead to a sinful life or lifestyle. And Jesus then said, in essence, stay in agreement. He said, sin no more. Now, we all know man is fallible, and we all make mistakes, and we all sin, but the point is to set your mind on a different course or trajectory. Make up your mind. Commit to the quitting process. This passage came to me for this podcast. It's from Elijah chapter 18. I'm sorry, it's from 1 Kings chapter 18, and it reads... Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Now, I've been a wavering man for so long. Let me read to you from James as well. This is chapter 1, verse 5. It starts... If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts, now listen, is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. But... Fear not, we have hope. This is this is our hope. We have hope in what God can and will be doing in our lives still. It is never too late. It has not been an end game for me because I was confused and double-minded for so many years in my 20s and my 30s. As a matter of fact, this whole podcast started because I decided one day oh, when I was 30-something to commit to my girlfriend who later became my wife when we do decide to walk in harmony hand in hand in obedience to and in agreement with God in the spirit of confession and contrition he will never neglect his purpose for our life when I realigned myself with my wife who's my wife now at the time to be my girlfriend, the inspiration for the podcast came instantly. It came within that first day and just things started pouring out of me and these ideas and the spirit was moving in me. He can bring us back. He is far too faithful of a God to forsake even our worst selves. He is always waiting, even behind closed doors. Jeremiah 29:11 For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope in the future and it goes on to read then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to me you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I will be found by you declares the Lord and will bring you back from captivity I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you declares the Lord and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile having a clean conscience 
is a powerful thing. It can knock down walls of fear, chains of addictions, and strongholds of anxiety and depression. I think we would often surprise ourselves at ourselves because you are much more stronger than you think or know. And finally, I would like to read out of a birthday card that I received during the making of this podcast from Deuteronomy 7-9, which reads, The Lord, your God, the faithful God, will keep his agreement of love for a thousand lifetimes for people who love him and obey his commands. Allow me to pray for you. Dear Lord, this is something that I've been riding the fence about for years, and I'm getting tired. My body's wearing down. I've lived a life of fear, cowardice, nervousness, anxiety, depression. I've sought counselors, medications. I've been confused on what's going on with me and I've had trouble figuring things out and I've had this traumatic stress and these experiences that hide in the back of my mind that just want to I feel like it just wants to jump on me and take me down into the gutter make me quit my job and get a divorce and kill myself and I know that sounds dramatic and I apologize to the listener But Lord, this struggle has been so unnecessary and I just pray and I want to praise and thank you, Lord, for your patience. You have been waiting for me. You have been waiting for us to come back to you. In our minds, we think of so many rationalizations and justifications so many contemplations that we enter into that ultimately lead us towards doing the same things over and over again till we get to a point where we don't even think that it's a sin in our life that is affecting us. And it's not always sin, but how many times is it sin? I just ask that you would forgive me, Lord. We know that you came as a guilt offering for sin. We know that when you healed people, you first told them their sins were forgiven. We know that this takes priority with you. We know that when you started your ministry, you came to baptize in a baptism of repentance. We know that the cross is to take our sins So we confess our sins to you, Lord, and I just pray for the listener that they would openly and unceasingly confess and cop out to their sins to you so that you can come in by your Holy Spirit and help them change their minds to walk in agreement with what you want to do with their lives, Lord, and help us to trust you in your timing that 
no matter how many times we may procrastinate or doubt you or try to take things into our own hands because we're afraid things aren't going to happen, we pray and I pray that you would bring us right into right standing with you and right standing that you have in the purpose for our life. Lord, we know that you're not going to let us miss out on anything uh, in heaven. And we don't want to miss out on anything in this earth that you have for us. Convict us, Lord. Be gentle with us, Lord. Continue your patience with us, Lord. Be a light unto our feet. Open our eyes and give us wisdom that we will not doubt in revelation, Lord to see how powerful we can be with a clear conscience walking hand in hand in good standing and in agreement with you, Lord. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.